everybody, and thanks for tuning in to the Enlighten Me podcast. I'm your host, Mackenzie, and I'm super pumped that you're listening today. For this week's episode, I'm interviewing a very dear friend to me, Lindsay Walder. Lindsay and her husband, Gabe, are Pacific Northwest transplants. They used to hold it down over here in central Illinois, which is where we met, and then they relocated to my neck of the woods in Washington State. Lindsay is a former second grade teacher turned stay-at-home mama, but she keeps the side hustle strong with her photography business and her beautiful blog, which I will definitely recommend that you check out, and I'll post links to it. When Gabe and Lindsay first got married, their plan was to be missionaries overseas in third world countries. But after some hard life circumstances occurred, they decided they were meant to hold it down here in the States and take care of kids and families in need. So for today's episode, Lindsay is sharing about their foster care and adoption journey. Lindsay is super vulnerable in talking about her and Gabe's successes and failures as adoptive and foster parents, and she addresses some of the stereotypes and probably fears that a lot of us think of when we think about foster care and adoption. You're going to love hearing Lindsay's take on how she's an advocate for foster babies and their parents. Her outlook on what it means to be a foster parent is truly encouraging and really eye-opening, and again, it's going to challenge a lot of the ways that most of us think about the foster care system. Lindsay and I also dive into talking about what it's like to have an interracial family. This is something that she hadn't really thought of when first becoming a foster parent, and that's really not addressed in our foster care world. And so she talks about her journey with what it was like to realize that her son was going to have challenges that she wasn't really expecting or prepared to handle herself, and with how she's educating herself and preparing to tackle those challenges. I love this part of our conversation because Lindsay is honest in saying that she was really unprepared to handle the challenges that this would bring about and that this isn't really something that's talked about much in the foster care and adoption world. This is a great follow-up to the conversation that Janelle and I had on the last episode, but Lindsay also brings up some new points that I hadn't thought of before. Finally, Lindsay offers some great encouragement to those of us who have maybe thought about foster care or adoption in the past, or maybe even those of us who just want to love on the families and communities around us who are embarking on this courageous adventure. I also want to give everybody heads up that if you are not caught up on This Is Us yet, season two, you're going to want to fast forward through the part where we start talking about it because we give out some spoilers. And if you don't watch This Is Us, what is wrong with you? Just kidding. Sort of. You're going to need to watch it, but make sure you fast forward through that part of the conversation because I don't want to ruin it for you. Lindsay is an extremely gifted speaker and writer and photographer, basically everything she does, I feel like, and I know you're going to think so too at the end of this. She brings up so many points that I had never thought of before and that I think will be really enlightening to all of you. Even if you don't think adoption or foster care is going to be a part of your world, if you plan on being a parent at all, I think this conversation is going to be really educational for you because you can be prepared and you can even prepare your own kids for how to handle interactions with families that are different from yours. So if you are doing laundry or getting ready for work or walking your pup, listen up and get ready to be enlightened because you're not going to want to miss any of this awesome conversation. Here's my interview with my sweet friend, Lindsay Walder. All right. Hey, Lindsay. How are you? Hi, I'm great. I'm so excited to be here with you. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Oh, I'm so proud of you for doing this and I love it. I love the idea of it. Thank you. Well, to start, how about you just tell people who you are? Okay. 
I am the wife of Gabe Walder, my college sweetheart. I am the mom of my son, Martel, who is four. And then Esme, my daughter, who is two. We are new Pacific Northwest transplants. We just moved to the Portland, Oregon area. We're technically in Washington, but relocated for Gabe's job. And I'm a former second grade teacher turned stay-at-home mom slash amateur writer and blogger slash budding photographer. Yeah. That'll give you you a little picture of me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So, and you moved from Illinois, which is where I'm currently at, only for a little while longer, but that's how we met. So tell people about, yeah, your, do you call it your side hustle or what? Is it your main hustle, your blog, your photography business? Yeah, my side hustle. Oh, yeah. It's totally taking a backseat right now. I, you know, it's just kind of like life gets in the way. And right now, life is very much so centered around transplanting my kids and moving them and toddlers teething and being sick. And it just feels like everything has kind of gone awry in this season. But yeah, my writing, my blog, writing gives me life. I am so encouraged by people being real and authentic. And um, I think when we're real and authentic, when we're vulnerable, it becomes some of our most life-giving and changing connections and connections with others. So the name of my blog is Hope Unswerving. And the little side tag thing um, says holding fast to grace, which came from verses in Hebrews, Hebrews 10, 23. It says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And I just think kind of the story, my story is one of, it just hasn't been easy. I don't think kind of from, yeah, I guess, especially since Gabe and I have been married I think I dream of writing a book one day. Who knows if that will actually happen? But Mm -hmm. um, I love the idea of drawing people together around truth and justice and encouraging each other's strengths and being advocates for the real real gospel, the one that spurs other Christians on towards holiness and the one that attracts people who don't know Jesus um, as someone worthy of being followed. So, yeah, I think that's kind of the idea behind my blog. And yeah. yeah, I just really love writing. So that's kind of the major thing behind it. But through my blog is how I kind of got started with photography. I usually post a picture with each of my blog posts or a couple pictures. Mm-hmm. People started asking if I would take their pictures or if I do take pictures. And so I started doing that and then realized I should just go for it. So yeah, so I'm kind of going for it. I'm going for the photography thing too. Yeah. Which has been really fun. I love that you just went for it because I remember we something this is kind of fun. We before you moved did an annual camping and float trip together. Yeah. Um and I remember one year when we were floating down the river and we were talking about things if we could each pick something we wish we were better at and I think you said photography. And that yeah. was a couple of years ago. And now you're awesome at it. And you're taking people's <laughs> Christmas cards just because you went and tried it, which I love. Oh, that's so funny. You remember that. Yeah, yeah I am. I'm going for it. The le- learning curve I've learned is is pretty steep. And there's always like people who are 
20 steps ahead of you that you're like, why the heck am I doing this? I just feel like, you know, one step at a time. Mm -hmm. There's grace there with every step. Yeah. Just keep, keep, keep taking one more. So yeah, for sure. You can't compare where you're at to where somebody else has been for years. So right. Yeah. 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 I love it. Cool. Okay. So you mentioned that you have kind of a crazy story. You've had a lot happen to you since I've known you really. I feel like Uh that was kind of when the journey started and I entered your life at a crazy but really sweet time. So, And what we're mostly going to talk about today is foster care and adoption. But I guess if you want to share your story and kind of what led you to being a foster and adoptive mom, do you want to share that? Sure. Yeah. Well, our adoptive journey kind of was born out of our initial dream of foster care, which actually was never mm-hmm. really a dream. Um, right. It was a kind of just a um, a response to to some circumstances in our life. Basically, our first year of marriage, Gabe and I had like these immaculate, wonderful plans of him getting his master's degree and then us going overseas and being missionaries. And in fact, when we started dating, Gabe was like, okay, we had this like serious sit down conversation and started getting a little bit more serious. And he's like, well, if you're really not willing to move to a third world country with me, I just like, don't know if we can do this. <laughs> and oh I remember God. thinking, um, yeah, we're going to do it. That sounds amazing. And I'm just so naive, but um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, plans kind of changed our first year. My mom got cancer unexpectedly and passed away really quickly. And when the time came for us to make a decision to go overseas, I just didn't feel ready to do that. And so Gabe and I really started thinking about what we could do here to use our gifts and kind of care for people who, yeah, are kind of just neglected or or cast aside in our society. And um, both of us just love kids. And I was a teacher at the time teaching second grade. And there were so many kids that I was like, I wish I could just put you in my pocket and take you home. Like I, Mm -hmm. you know, there are always those kids who are way heavy on your heart when you get home at the end of the day. And Mm -hmm. um, so I kind of started thinking through foster care and learning a little bit more. And it just so happened that we had a ton of different conversations about it with random people brought it up to Gabe. He said, no, we started reading a book and the first chapter, both of us cried and said, okay, we're doing it. So started our foster care classes and that was kind of the start of the end for us. I mean, we, we were all in. So yeah, that was kind of our pull towards foster care. I think for sure too. just, yeah, it just feels like kind of one of those, those areas of need, I guess, in our American society, especially that is just feared in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people, especially people like us who love deeply and care deeply and feel deeply for people to say, I'm afraid of getting attached and having to say goodbye. I think that response, I think I was kind of like, isn't that the point? Like, isn't that, isn't that what these kids need? And Mm -hmm. So I couldn't talk forever about that or longer, but the question was, (laughs) 
right? Why do we, what made us want to do it? So here I am going onto a rabbit hole, but. No, I think that's great. And that is totally what people say when people talk about foster care. They're like, I just don't know if I could handle it. It's just so sad to say goodbye. Yeah. It's like, well, yeah, that, I mean, sure it is. And that's awesome. If you love your kid that much, that it's so, so sad to say goodbye, but that's kind of the goal with it, right? Is that you go into foster care and the goal is to reunite them with their families. And that's really the more sustainable goal than, you know, it's if all the kids in the foster care system end up needing to be adopted, that's even worse, right? And so the goal is to help families. So it's not just about getting a kid and falling in love with a kid. It's about helping families. So um, I think that's a really good perspective on it that you have to go in with the right mindset. And Mm -hmm. hopefully you do love them enough that it's sad to say goodbye. But yeah, how about first, why don't you tell us about the kids that you've had? And you can't say their names or anything, I don't think, but um, except for your child, you can say his name. You already said his yeah. name, Martel. Um, but yeah, tell us kind of maybe a little bit about the specific kids that you've had. Uh huh. Well, um, we we went in kind of thinking we were, I think, like twenty four <laughs> when we decided to go into foster care, and we were like, well, it would be really weird if we had like a fifteen year old or something. <laughs> um, and so, and even like. Even like a seven-year-old, I was like, that feels weird. We would have been yeah. itty-bitty. So we decided that we would do three and younger and that we had a higher preference for like 18 months and younger, mm-hmm. um, especially like not having parented, just feeling a little bit like, okay, the younger the baby, the easier it'll be for us to grow into parenting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we were told that we'd be waiting for years and we didn't even have our paper license when we got a call for our son, Martel. And Martel was eight weeks when he came to us. And he, yeah, he was like, I think first time we really were faced with the reality of what I just talked about, of that feeling of like, oh my gosh, people were right. You know, how are we ever going to say goodbye to this kid? And so... I think from the very beginning, we were head over heels in love with him and, and felt way in over our heads. Like, yeah, we want him to be ours forever. But the reality is, you know, that he very well may not. So um, he kind of came to us at such a young age and without sharing too much of his story, because I really do just feel like, oh, that's his story. He, he ended up being able to be ours forever. And so Right around the time he was 18 months old, we found out we would be able to, we were moving towards an adoption goal. And we were able to adopt him when he was two years old and three months, two years and three months. Mm -hmm. And then in that time, around the time he was 10 months old, we got, we, the crazy thing is they told us we'd wait for years. We ended up getting calls a few calls in between. I think our fourth call after Martel was for a little girl who was three going on four that had a laundry list of abuse. In fact, I got the phone call while I was at school. I was teaching and I was sitting in the teacher's lounge and I'm writing down, scribbling down what the caseworker was saying. And she just rattled off all of these behaviors she was displaying and 
I just was like, nope, like, we're not going to take her in. We have Martel and this just feels way too hard. And we feel really, I would feel really equipped. And um, I called Gabe kind of nonchalantly and was like, hey, just want to let you know, we got a call. I told her I'd call her back, but I don't think that it'll be a good fit. And he asked for the details and I gave them to him and he was all choked up on the other end of the phone, which is normally my role, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I'm usually the one with the emotional like roller coaster going on. And he just was like, I, Lindsay, I don't think we should write this girl off. I think we need to like really think and pray and consider taking her in. And so I was super thrown off by that. So I called the caseworker back and they were desperate at this point. We were her fourth foster home in three months. And yeah, and and they had like two days remaining before she had to be removed from her foster home. So they were pretty desperate. And so this caseworker was like, please let me know ASAP. And I went home, Gabe and I sat down, we cried a little bit and just felt really convicted that our goal had switched from this idea of sacrificing on behalf of the broken to protecting the family we have and this kind of pretty picture we were starting to paint in our mind of what our life could look like. And I think we just were like, whoa, the American dream is really alluring. And the the idea of having this perfect, cute, sweet little family and a little house and a dog and a bow on top is like, it's very tempting. So we just felt like, man, we're going to invite this little messy girl into our lives to tip it upside down and kind of keep our eyes on the prize, in, which is the vulnerable and the broken being healed in our home. And maybe that's a lofty goal. But and the reality is maybe that's not what it actually ends up being. But so we took in this little girl. We had her in our home for about 10 months. And it was... I would say outside of losing my mom, probably the most difficult 10 months of our lives or or kind of just season of our lives, she was um, extremely difficult to care for. I feel like when she was good, she was really good. And when she was bad, she was off the charts. And um, she was destructive and violent and sexual and yeah, just, yeah was really, really hard. And tragically, kind of the end of her stint with us, she was on her way home and things sort of fell apart. We had conceived our daughter Esme and we were kind of in this place of things really amped up with attention with this little girl in our home. And I was kind of on the brink of losing our baby and we had to make a really hard decision to have our little foster daughter moved to a different home before before she finally went home to her mom, which in the end ended up not happening. But then we kind of took a little break. And when our Esme, our biological daughter, was about 10 months old, we ended up taking in another little boy who proved to be not nearly as up and down as the little girl was, but just kind of consistently naughty. Um, And also difficult to connect with. He was extremely neglected and just had a really tough time connecting with our family and kind of seemed like brought out the worst in all of us. Martel became really 
passive and kind of depressive and Esme became really aggressive and naughty and kind of uh, feisty and I had like no patience. I was running on empty, it felt like the whole time and that was another really hard placement. He was with us for about five months. Um, Martel was three, he was two, Esme was one. So it was just (laughs) this insane dynamic of, yeah, staying afloat. And so that little boy left and shortly after that we moved out here. So it's been a whirlwind journey. So mm. probably was way more detailed than you wanted. I'm sorry. No, it's <laughs> perfect. I think that through your explanation of the different children that have entered your home, you've kind of touched on the stereotype of the hardest part of foster care being saying goodbye. Because yeah. for you, I would say in like two out of three cases, you were anxious for that goodbye, not because of you didn't love the kid, but because it was so hard on your family. And yeah. and that is why the older kids have a harder time finding homes because people know that they come with this baggage. And I think maybe a lot of people don't expect that from even just a two-year-old or a three-year-old. Yeah. But it is so the case. I mean, when you undergo so much trauma, even if you're just a little baby, it stays with you. And so I think that watching you was super educational for me because it changed a lot of the stereotypes that I held about foster care. Mm -hmm. And I think kind of some of those, I think those are definitely stereotypes that kind of come along with foster care. And I think also some like unexpected things were just you know, I think you're kind of like you were saying, we were expecting it to be really difficult to say goodbye. And in the end, we were like, like desperate almost for, Mm -hmm. for our family to kind of return to normalcy. Mm -hmm. And I think we were not expecting the amount of exhaustion we felt. We weren't expecting isolation. And I think that's kind of an interesting dynamic that we ran into was other families like see want to protect their family. And I think when you see kids that are acting out or are violent or who bite Mm -hmm. or who kick or who scream or who, you know, behave in ways that are inappropriate, it's so hard for other people to want to enter in or to know how to include us, you know? So I think that was one thing we weren't expecting. Um, I think the impact on our marriage was really interesting I think in some situations, it really brought us together. And in other situations, it really like pulled us apart. Just kind of one of us feeling like we really need to hold on to the very end. And the other feeling like I can't do this anymore. And just really needing to stay on the same page as a team. And I think I think there is this difficulty to connect with these kids and to understand them sometimes. And Mm -hmm. it's not like you, you get this sweet little kid that has had normal experiences in their life walking Mm -hmm. into your house where you can wrestle around on the ground with them. It's like touch may be difficult for them or, Mm -hmm. or they may not be able to sit through or have never sat through a book before or, Mm -hmm. They may not eat anything that you eat in your house or they may hit or kick or punch your kids and you're like, whoa, what do we do with that? And Mm -hmm. it feels hard sometimes to love them and understand. And I think sometimes when you're thrown into it, it's like we don't have this foundation of love for each other. And so when they do something horrible... Mm-hmm. It's not like you're like, oh, you just did that, and I, but I love you, and there's grace, and we 
we understand you. It's like, I have no idea where that came from. I don't really like it. And it makes me feel really uncomfortable. And so kind of figuring out these kids is hard too. But I think the biggest thing that we kind of walked away with, and I sort of mentioned this before, but when we started with Martel, man, we were in love with him and we didn't want it to end. And and we wanted to adopt him from the start. Mm-hmm. And I think God really corrected that in our hearts along the way, because I think when you start to root for adoption, when you start to root for that baby staying with you, ultimately, you're also rooting for the parents to fail mm-hmm. and the birth parents to fail. And I think that's a dynamic that's real can be really tricky. And there's no way of getting around it. I think if we're given these kids, if we, you're deciding to walk into this knowing, oh, I may, I, get, I may get my heart crushed. I think the real challenge is going to be we may get run over by this kid. This is going to be hard. We're going to be face-to-face with trauma we've never had to deal with before. It's going to bring out some really difficult parts of ourselves. And not only that, but we're given these kids as stewards of the child while the parents take time to get their ducks in a row so they can be prepared to bring this child back home. And I think foster care is not just caring for kids. It's caring for families. It's caring for parents. It's caring for siblings. It's reunifying them as one. Because even if I think I can give them the best, the reality is I can't give them blood. I can't get, I did not birth this child that's, you know, there is this connection that comes with birth families that is just something that goes beyond just providing basic needs, I guess. So mm-hmm. that was one perspective that we really kind of had to come on board with and learn to embrace and get excited about the second and third time we walked into foster care um, for sure. And I don't think it was our perspective that sent them home. I think for especially Martel's situation, his situation was such that it just wasn't going to work out his birth parents. And so we are the luckiest people in the world and we got to adopt him. But yeah, those are some things that were unexpected, hard, and I think kind of stereotypically you know, not true. So, right. Yeah. I think too, with all the stereotypes, with addressing all the stereotypes, something too, that I've seen through you and then through other people that I know doing, doing foster care is that no experience is going to be the same. And it takes a lot of patience. Like there's a lot of waiting and a lot of things changing at the last minute. And then it can just be so different from person to person. Like Martel, for you guys, was an awesome experience because you fell in love and you got to adopt him. But also, like you said, your adoption wasn't official till after he was two and you got him when he was two months, right? Like it took a long time. And then we've seen other friends, like people that you and I both know, who have finished the classes and they have to wait months to get a call. Whereas for you guys, you were hardly even official foster parents and you got a call. And, you know, we know people who have loved every kid that's in their house. And we know people who have had a really hard time with every kid and just everywhere in between. And so it's just, it takes a lot of patience and I don't want people to listen to your story and feel like, Oh, never mind. I thought foster care was for me, but it's definitely not. This sounds too scary because 
you know, your the experience that you had was unique and every experience is unique. So I feel like that might be important to say. And I just would love for you to talk about what would you tell people who are thinking maybe maybe foster care is for our family. Like I have a heart towards that. I've been interested. I'm intrigued. Or I thought I was, but I'm a little afraid. What would you say to those people? Mm, good question. I think I would encourage you to to do it. I think <laughs> I think it's easy for us to believe that we aren't good enough or strong enough or or you know, we are not gonna be able to endure through something like that well enough to do it. And so I think sometimes I I think even in the Christian community it comes to mind, or even just anyone in general, I think it's easy to think that we need a sign to move forward with a yes, or we need God to tell us that it's a yes and that we'll, and then we'll do it. But I think like, I just, I've just been thinking lately about like, what if we just said yes? What if, what if we just said yes and we moved forward until we heard a no? And I think, I think we'd be way more willing to try hard things. We'd be way bolder and being courageous and having courage and deciding like, you know what? There's a need here. I'm going to step up and I'm going to try and I'm going to be faithful. And obviously there just ha- there have to be a lot of practical factors. Like you have to have agreement if you're married that you're going to, both of you are going to be on the same page and both of you have to be two feet in or else it's, it's not going to work. It's not going to go well. When push comes to shove, one of you is going to want to pull out and the other one's going to want to stay in. I think it's really important for you to be united as a team. But I think another like practical thing, I just really think that you have to build a community of people to surround you and support you. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Prioritize your marriage and talk about things other than your foster care journey. I think it can just be so weighty and so heavy sometimes that it's easy to just have it always on your mind, but it's so important to have fun. And it's so Mm -hmm. important to let go and connect on other levels. But yeah, I just think my encouragement is there's a need, there's a huge need. And Mm -hmm. if you're like interested or want to know more, keep learning more. Don't just like let it be on the back burner. Go for it. Right. So, And how do you handle... Because I'm sure there are times that you feel unqualified or feel like because a kid went home, you maybe you didn't keep them as long as you had thought you would be able to, that you just feel like you're not doing the best job at this or things like that. Or, you know, a lot of this, like you said, is behavioral issues and you, you were a teacher, but you weren't a psychologist, right? And most people that are doing this they might be parents, but other than that, they might not have any experience with kids being in a classroom or anything like that. So how do you battle those feelings of feeling like maybe you failed or this was a bad decision or just feeling unqualified to do this? And what would you say to other people that might feel that way? Yeah. So it's kind of funny. I was asked to give like a talk at this church function on foster care and the like things rolling around in my head the entire time I was debating whether or not I should say yes were a basically I felt unqualified from beginning to end b both kids other than Martel who were in our home 
we had to end their journey with us early. And it was our decision to have them moved. Just like that feels, if I can like be really blunt, really shitty. Like it just feels like, Mm -hmm. oh, we failed. We messed it up. We didn't see it to completion. We shouldn't have done it in the first place. Those are Mm -hmm. the things that kind of roll through my mind. And all the time, the whole time we had them, there were just these swinging. It just felt like a pendulum of like, we should be doing this. We shouldn't be doing this. We should be doing this. We shouldn't be doing this. And I think it's hard to explain what rests those questions for me. But again, I felt like I had, you know, this, there are just moments where I had a quiet spirit, um, one that whispered, just carry these little kids on the backs of your privilege for as long as you can. It won't be easy. It will be really hard. But we get this chance to love through the loss of ourselves and teach our kids what it looks like to truly sacrifice on behalf of the broken. And I think I think that yes to that was a lot more powerful in the midst of our failure. It just felt like we said yes. And even if this isn't ending the way we want it to. And some could argue that we made the these kids' lives even harder by moving them again. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Maybe, maybe so. But I really do think that it's not the end. I, I just think I, I mean I can't I can't answer this question without kind of going into to the fact that the answer is that I just believe in the beauty and the redemption of the gospel. I I really believe that God uses all things in our life and in the lives of these kids to kind of to change them, to change us, to redeem us, to make us better. And I hope that although I've kind of explained how all the ways we failed and all the questions we had while these kids were in our home, but there were also things we did really well. And there are also things that I would hope these kids would continue carrying with them long after they leave our home. What it means to say, I'm sorry, what it means to say, I forgive you, what it means to feel loved and snuggled with and prayed for and sung with and danced with, to be fed healthy foods and to be tickled and giggled with and to go to the apple orchard or go to a museum that maybe they wouldn't have been able to go to or that they got to hold hands with my kids while crossing the street and that they got to endure in friendship in a way that maybe they wouldn't have otherwise or there are things that that we did well and I think it's important to remember those things not just the ways we failed and not just the ways we felt inadequate but I think we taught those kids a lot and in a lot of ways they did do some healing in our home and that's Mm -hmm. important too Mm -hmm. so yeah I think that's really cool and I think kind of what you were saying was You know, we talk about the power of trauma, of traumatic experiences, even when you're young, like your brain can remember and it can affect so much of your life, even just one little thing. And I just feel like if that's true, the opposite also has to be true, that the power of those positive experiences also has to be really influential. So even if it's only for one month, like, yes, that is hard to move a kid that often. And that's not great for them to be bouncing between house to house. But if you can keep them in your home and love on them that strongly, I feel like that has to do some good. So I love that. that. That's a great answer. Let's talk about having an interracial family next, because with your foster care and adoption journey, 
it has brought children of color into your home. And you've Mm -hmm. told me before that that is something that wasn't really at the forefront of your mind, thinking about race and racial issues in our country and that sort of thing that you weren't really thinking about that until you had some skin in the game, so to speak. Um, So let's talk about that and just what you've learned through having children of color. Yeah. Well, I think both Gabe and I came in really naive, for sure. We did not bat an eye at the idea of taking in kids of different races into our family, Mm -hmm. um, almost to a fault. Like, we just didn't think it would be a a big deal or an issue at all. But we... Yeah, kind of like you're saying, now that we have skin in the game, now that we have Martell in our home, and just so everybody kind of can get a picture of what our family looks like, Gabe is blonde hair, blue-eyed, white. I'm Mm -hmm. white, a little bit darker hair, also blue-eyed, fair. Our biological daughter is blonde, curly hair, (laughs) blue-eyed, super fair. And Martell is like, on the scale of African-American skin color, he's like so dark. He's Mm -hmm. very dark. And so he is, you know, the only one in our family who even has dark features. So we just didn't think there would be much to be concerned about when we took him into our family. And we realized very quickly that we were really uneducated and really unprepared on this topic. And it wasn't really something that came up in our foster care classes at all, which kind of is a part of the reason we didn't even consider it. But it's interesting. I think we had had Martel a couple months and we were walking down the street and this homeless African-American man was like, where'd you get that baby? <laughs> and we were like, um, we like found him. I mean, he's our, you know, like he's our son right now. And so just like that, I mean, we started getting looks in stores. We started getting people asking questions about where he was from. We started getting questions about just what happened with our family. How did we come upon this child? And not only that, but it just feels like shortly after he came to live with us, I mean, he wasn't even two, maybe right around the age of two when our country started just having this entire racial response and racial awareness and just this advocacy for um, our Black community. And Gabe and I were just desiring so deeply to understand white privilege, for one, to understand our son. And I think we felt as though it was our job as his parents to be educated as best we possibly can. Because the reality is, there is so much about Martel that we can learn, but we will never, ever be able to understand what it feels like to be him, to be in his skin. And we can learn about the experiences of Black men, but we can never speak to him from the ex- from our own experience. And mm-hmm. in some ways, that's really painful. I think for Gabe, especially being his dad, I think he's, he's we're taking steps in Martel's life to kind of in our lives to kind of have strong black men as friends and people that will influence Martel because Gabe knows that there are going to be times when Gabe can't speak into areas of Martel's life. And so, yeah, I guess as we've done, I think a lot more reading and researching and listening to podcasts and watching documentaries and befriending people who don't look like us and kind of trying to break down some walls of 
of segregation and and such. I think we've learned so much about our own privilege and we've learned so much about Martel's future and what it could look like and ways we need to be concerned for him. And I think we long to see justice in our country for our African-American friends. And I think, yeah, I feel like I'm kind of starting to go on a tangent. Um, (laughs) No, I think that's really good. I guess with learning more about what that's like and just kind of your awareness towards these things, what have been some frustrating things from your perspective, maybe things that have happened from outsiders or just whatever, things that have frustrated you or been challenging for you as a family? Well, I think, I mean, it's challenging to to feel like you can't understand your kid. And it's challenging to feel like you you have to do research to figure it out. And I guess that's kind of true with any kid. They may be acting a certain way you don't understand or whatever. Right. Um, but I think that was challenging in and of itself, but then kind of communicating to our family and our friends who have maybe not had an opportunity or need to kind of look outside of um, their own perspective or way of life or thoughts on race. Um, It's challenging not to be frustrated with them for not getting it or frustrated with them for challenging it. Or I think also it's really, it's really refining for us to kind of learn to just be patient and learn to be like not everybody is going to get it. And Mm -hmm. there are going to be situations that are inappropriate, that somebody may say something inappropriate, and we need to respond graciously and love to educate them rather than defensively and frustratedly. So I think those are some things that were that are difficult to navigate. Gabe's really good at being patient and kind. And I'm a little bit more of the like, feisty, (laughs) like, oh, fiery. Yeah, yeah. We need to get we need to get to the of that. Um, but, <laughs> Which yeah. I love about you. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think those are all really good things, and yeah, maybe just things you wouldn't think of, like especially if you are someone who's already passionate about talking about race, like I am. It's just different when you have you know a really vested interest. Like this really affects you personally, and. Yeah you might actually feel personally offended if someone says something dumb. And so I think it's, it's just a very interesting perspective because it's not your personal identity, but it's a big part of your life. And Uh so I just appreciate you bringing your perspective to that. What, what recommendations would you have for people who, again, maybe they're thinking about foster care or maybe, maybe it's not foster care, but maybe just adoption. Maybe they've thought about international adoption or even just local adoption, but maybe they haven't thought about the race piece of that before and what having uh-huh. an interracial family would look like or how that would change things for them. So what would you want to tell those people? Yeah, I think good question. Nothing maybe I haven't already said, but I I think that if you're thinking about adopting transracially, then I would say you it would be really important for you to be willing to have a conversation about the topic and be willing to admit that there are potentially going to be some issues with raising this child that you wouldn't have if you had a child who was um, Caucasian or 
or your same skin color, I guess. So if you're a black family adopting a white child, I think there's going to be a totally different experience for you than what has been for us. So I guess I can't speak totally to that, but I would say like transracially in general, there's just going to be this this factor of education that is going to be really important um, mm-hmm. and also advocacy. There's going to be a level of advocacy, whether or not your child needs advocating for, you're going to need to advocate for your family in one way or another with people who ask questions or people who don't know what to say, or maybe are politically incorrect, or um, we get questions like, is he yours? Or do you know his real mom? Or does he know his real mom? Or where is he from? Or things like that, where there is going to be a level of like, it's blatant that you've adopted this child. And so people are going to stare and they're going to ask questions. And it's Mm -hmm. just important for you to be prepared to answer in a way that is protective of your child and also um, educational for the recipient. So yeah, I guess, I guess that's what I would say. Yeah, I think that's very helpful and probably even just helpful for people who maybe they have no plans of adopting or fostering, but now they might know more what to say to people or what not to say. (laughs) But I also have to ask you this, because I know that you also watch This Is Us. Is it accurate? inaccurate because there's a lot of (laughs) things I always think of you when I watch that show because I'm like oh they're doing that oh this is like their life (laughs) I always think of you because interracial adoption and then the foster care piece just all those things so how do you feel does it ever do you ever feel like yeah that's not accurate that's not what it's really like or do you feel like it's pretty accurate Great question. I think one of the things about the foster care piece that I'm like, what is like, there's typically not very much interaction between birth parents and foster parents. Like, we would have never been able to show up at the jail and be like, we want your daughter, like, we're gonna fight for her. That just like doesn't happen that way. But I think, I think the emotions are real. Um, I think they did a good job of displaying that like she has trauma and there's things going on with her that are going to prevent her from connecting with you and prevent you from understanding Mm -hmm. her. And I like that. I like that, especially like, I don't know if you've watched the most recent season, but like, yeah, the wedding. (laughs) Yeah. At the wedding when she's like throwing this big hissy fit and until somebody who could understand her was able to speak into her life, like she wasn't going to budge because she felt so frustrated and even, Mm -hmm. yeah, like she doesn't want to belong, but she does want to belong. She's Mm -hmm. in this conundrum. I think that's very accurate. Um, Mm -hmm. As far as like the adoption thing with Randall, obviously this happened at a different time and a different season, you know, of our country's racial history. But but for the most part, yeah, it has been pretty accurate. And it's it's actually helped us to kind of think through when Martel gets bigger, what are we going to do about school Mm -hmm. and how are we going to encourage his gifts in a way that, you know, yeah, that he won't feel held back or he won't feel left behind and you know, if his strength isn't the same as Esme's or Esme's strength is, you know, I don't know, more up front. How are we going to encourage Martell's in the background or, or vice mm-hmm. versa? If Martell's is up front, how are we going to encourage Esme just, you know, in her strengths? I think in that way, um, yes, it does kind of paint an accurate picture. And I think, I don't know, I just like love the way Jack parents, but 
Mm-hmm. I think they're just not afraid to admit that their family is different. I mean, obviously they can't not admit that their family is different. It's like right there on the front front and center, just like our family is. But yeah, I just love that it's a part of their conversations yeah. and stuff. So yeah, I think it's, mm. they do a really good job, which is why every episode I end up like bawling my eyes out. So yeah. oh my gosh. Well, we all do. <laughs> totally. <laughs> um, oh my I love it. Yeah. I love it. That's that's kind of what I thought. I felt like maybe it's a little dramatized in ways, or I thought maybe the timeline with, I can't remember her name, but the foster daughter, uh-huh. how she warmed up to them. I thought it was a little bit quick, yeah, but then again, we're only seeing it you know, it's not real time, it's TV. So there's that piece too. But no, I thought, I thought that was really cool. And so I'm glad that you feel like it's for the most part, pretty accurate. It is. Yeah. Yeah, It's really important that like mainstream society is getting a glimpse into this really huge need in our country. And yeah, it's kind of like, oh, maybe we should consider this or we didn't even think about it. Yeah. You know, yeah. I love that. Oh, that's so cool. I know. I love it too. I'm so curious what's going to happen next season with I know. them going to see her when she's an adult. Like, what is going to happen? Oh, I know. I know. Another spoiler. Really I bad, think that's going to be heart wrenching. I know. Oh, man. Um, okay. Is there anything that you want to tell people? Again, maybe there's some people who have been listening, but just don't feel like any of this stuff is necessarily going to be you know, in their life, like adoption or foster care, uh, anything that you want to tell those people just about loving their friends, maybe who are walking through this or Mm. taking care of families, even if they don't necessarily know anybody, you know, the respite care is a popular option just to help out families who are fostering or anything like that, that you would just want to tell people. Yeah. I think that you've heard me say over and over again, adoption and foster care both of them are beautiful tangled messes that we have felt wildly unprepared for. But I think, I think it's really important to remember that for these kids, their journey was born out of loss and, and we get to gain, like we get to gain Martell into our family and we're like, Oh my gosh, this is just the best. But even just two days ago, Martell and I were sitting on the couch and he asked about his birth mom and we're both sitting there crying. He was crying, smiling, crying, which I've never ever seen him have this mm-hmm. happy, sad feeling before because he looked like her and because he doesn't know her. And so there's just mm-hmm. always this like this dichotomy that he has to hear that they weren't ready to be his parents, but that we were. And as much as I tried to communicate that God knew what he was doing when he placed Martel with us, I still feel sometimes like the whole thing is unfair. And I'm sure Martel does too. So whether you're walking into foster care or adoption, there's going to be trauma no matter. And there's hardship no matter. And there are questions of adequacy all around no matter. And while we often feel like we're the more we learn, the more we become overwhelmed. We're so thankful that that we had a community around us to love for us, love us and care us, care for us and cheer us on. And I think as the people who are on the sidelines watching a family or watching people you know foster, I think it's really important that they know they have your support. Some like emails and text messages and things like that are things I saved and looked at when I was at my lowest point with 
foster care and in feeling frustrated. And I think step up and say, Hey, can we bring you a meal? Or Hey, can we hang out with your, with your little, little guy for the afternoon so you can go to the grocery store alone or so you can go for a walk or you can spend time with your husband or with your friends or, I think on the outside looking in, we probably looked like we had it mostly together. But I think sometimes it was like, we just need people to care about us and Mm -hmm. to remember us. And so even having a reminder on your phone, like twice a week, check in with your friend to see how they're doing and to see if they need anything from you. Or yeah, I think the other thing to remember is their kids, all kids, but especially kids who've experienced trauma have really big emotions and they have sometimes really weird reactions to things. And just sometimes as a foster parent, you feel like you have to explain it away or like, oh, I'm so sorry that they did that or, or, oh, that's because of this or, you know, but just kind of jumping in and being okay with things being a little weird or awkward sometimes will totally help foster parents feel at ease about their situation and not judged or looked down on or insecure. So I think Mm. that's really important. I think also like you're a parent teaching your kids about what foster care is or what adoption is. Because sometimes when the questions are asked right in front of the kids, it's a little bit hard to know how to answer in a way that isn't going to be upsetting or confusing or whatever. So even just talking to your kids about like, oh, you know, so-and-so is living with the Walders because they need this safe place to stay for a little while. And so they're going to be living with them and we're going to go play and let your kids enter in and let your kids ask questions and be around the kids. But but having kind of a frame of reference, I guess, before they just walk into mm-hmm. the situation. So. Those are all so practical. I love Good. it. Good. Cool. Sometimes practical. <laughs> Thank you. I, I agree. That's why that's kind of the whole point here is to help people feel like they can do the thing. So yeah, I like it. All right. What's some good advice you've gotten recently? Oh my gosh. That is such a hard one. <laughs> yeah. Everybody says it's a hard one. Well, it's so <laughs> I'm, That makes me think that nobody's getting good advice or something. Like no. we must want to be helping each other out. <laughs> oh my God. It's so funny. I, I think it's so weird. We, um, Gabe and I went to this networking event that I really didn't want to go to. And it was for Gabe's job and Gabe's parents were in town for a few days, right when we moved here, the first week we moved here. And his parents were like, you should just go because you're not going to get a lot of time together after we leave until you find a babysitter. And we were like, okay, fine, we'll go. And while we were there, we were kind of going around the circle and you're supposed to kind of say why you were there, what your small business was. And Gabe was there representing his (laughs) job. And then he like, like just blurts out, oh, and my wife's a photographer. So if you need somebody, um, contact her. And so then we're kind of like standing around in this circle and I just, Gabe was just like, own it. And like kind of whispered to me, like, just own it or something like that, something along those lines. And I was just like, I think there you go right there. Like I felt really inadequate. I felt like we're just moving here. I didn't know anybody. I'm intimidated by the photography scene out here, but I'm just going to own it. And I think that was really good advice because I actually got connected with this pediatrician out here and I'm taking pictures for his office for so he's hooking me up with all these families who need family pictures and he wants pictures of his clients on his walls and so 
it's just been cool to just own it. So that sounds like a stupid piece of advice, but um, no, that's an amazing piece of advice. Yeah, I think it's a good. I read this other person's post online the other day, and it was something very similar. Her husband was like, um, she said she remembered her husband sitting her down and saying, like, you need to start identifying yourself as a writer. You are a writer. And I think sometimes it's just easy to doubt who we are, or doubt what our passions are, and then just kind of be like, I'm kind mm. of an amateur photographer. I'm a sort of a writer. And it's just like, oh, no, this is what I'm good at. This is what I want to be. So I'm just gonna, I'm gonna claim it and own it as who I am. So that was good. Yeah. I now introduce myself as a photographer when people ask what I do. So I'm like, I stay home with the kids, but I'm also a photographer. So it's kind of fun. Yeah. No, I felt the same way with this. I I probably said this to you where I was like, I have this idea. It's kind of dumb and it's probably not anything, but like, here's my idea. And now I'm just like, I started a podcast and people are always so nice. I mean, sometimes they laugh at me, but for the most part, they're like, that's cool. Whereas if you like disqualify yourself, then they're going to definitely laugh at you. Like you just sound dumb, you know? So well, I love the way you've gone for it. You really have dove and dived. How do you say that? (laughs) (laughs) And and you've like been prepared and you, I don't even know. Like I love following your Instagram and seeing your posts and seeing your pictures and advice. I read every one. I just love it. So you're doing a really awesome job. You're so Owning it. Ah, thank you. All right. How about, do you have someone that you look up to as a role model? I think that that was another hard one for me to think through. But one person I really love to, I read her first book and I follow her on social media, Shannon Martin. And I love her because if you haven't heard of her, she just wrote a book, um, I'm probably close to two years now, but two years ago about called Falling Free. And I just love her because I feel like she's, being a woman who is unafraid to advocate for people who are often marginalized and sometimes even oppressed in our society that many of us would just walk right past in our day-to-day lives. And she just was kind of uprooted out of her, what she thought her life was going to be. And I just love to see that she's kind of created this new and beautiful life where she's been transplanted into on the wrong side of the tracks, as she would say it, and just loves with this authentic kind of love and kind of embraces the quirkiness of her family and embraces the quirkiness of her community. And I just think it's really easy for us, especially like with our world of social media to want our lives to look a certain way. And when they don't to feel like, oh, like it's not worth sharing. And it's just not true. It's just not true. Life doesn't look like a pretty little square all the time. It is messy and crazy and wild. And and people who maybe wouldn't normally fit in those squares are not unworthy of being loved. So mm-hmm. I love I love her and her perspective. I'm really encouraged by her. So that's awesome. Yeah. How about I'm excited to hear this one since you are a writer. What's the most impactful book you've read? Okay, well, I didn't I just listened to a book that was fictional and not at all impactful, but it was really entertaining. Um <laughs> I was like, it's an impactful book. 
Um, I read a number of books on the topic of race recently. I recently read um, The Hate You Give, and that was mm-hmm. a fictional story, but kind of a realistic fiction story that I just truly believe um, that every teen in America, I think it should be a required high school read. I think it's just the perfect way to kind of introduce a difficult topic in a way that's non-threatening and also kind of sometimes I think fiction does a really good job of addressing serious issues in our society in a way that gives you feeling and emotion and helps you enter into the shoes of another person in a way that helps you kind of enter into your own thoughts and feelings about the topic. So I, the hate you give was really good in my opinion. And then another one that I read similar topic was small, great things by Jody. I don't know how to say her last name. Pickled, pickled. How do oh, you yeah. say that? Yeah, yeah, pickled. Yeah. yeah okay. that's how I, say it. I don't thought know. I said right. pickle and I was like, not like a pickle that you eat pickled. <laughs> Um, so, uh, yeah, small, great things is another one that I love it because it's, yeah, it's just kind of helps you explore your white privilege a little bit, but also see the perspective of people on other extreme ends of the spectrum. Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson. I'm sure I feel like is becoming more and more popular, but could not put it down. But I feel like not related to race. Um, I loved The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. That it was an awesome perspective on sin and forgiveness and redemption. And yeah, so those are my most impactful books, I think. I love it. I've read two of those. I have not read Small Great Things yet, but I want to after you told me about it. And I haven't read The Great Divorce because C.S. Lewis is a little intimidating for me. I remember when I was in high school, I started Mere Christianity and I felt really confident going in and same. I quickly lost oh, interest. Yeah, yeah. I never finished it, by the way. And then I believe it was Gabe who didn't we start it together? Yes. We did, right? I was like, okay, this time, you know, it's been like seven years. I can do it. <laughs> I'm way smarter now. I have a master's degree. Let's go. And I tried and once again I failed. Yeah. So Someday, someday I will read a C.S. Lewis book. I have Narnia. I think I should. Oh, start Narnia there. is awesome. Yes, start there. Yeah, that's also a good one to listen. <laughs> oh, okay. You so you like I listening, love listening to, books. to books because in my season of life, I feel like I don't have time to sit down and read a book. I'm always there's always something that I need to be doing, but I feel like I'm multitasking when I listen to a book. So yeah, that's the best. Totally. Well. That's a perfect lead into the next question. What's something you've listened to recently that you think everybody should hear? Maybe besides a book. Okay. This is, um, it's called A Deeper Healing by Johnny Erickson. Erickson. Her name is J-O-N-I-E-A-R-E-C-K-S-O-N. So it's really, I don't even know. Okay. Um. My sister-in-law sent it to me recently. It's the story of this woman who dove into a lake, I believe, at the age of – I mean, she was like a a young adult. And she broke her neck and became a paraplegic. And it's her story of kind of going through these phases of frustration and doubt and discouragement and – she just came to know Jesus in this really amazing transformative way. And 
her story is so powerful. I just loved listening to it. Whether I feel like whether I was a Christian or not a Christian, I feel like everything she had to say was really encouraging and powerful and worth listening to. So I loved listening to that. That the only reason I'm saying that is because I feel like I haven't listened. I also listened to like some audiobooks that I haven't like been totally in love with. So I've been listening to things, but nothing mm-hmm. recently that I'm like head over heels. Like everybody needs to listen yeah. to this. Brene yeah. Brown, anything by her, I love. I love listening to her. Her vulnerability TED Talk is one of the most my most favorite things I've ever listened to. Also, okay, those are good recommendations. Is the deeper healing thing the thing that yes. you texted me? Did you ever listen to it? I haven't. I forgot okay. about it until now because I was on vacation when you texted it to me. So now I have to go back oh, yeah. and listen totally. to it. I, I remember I looked at it and I was like, that seems a little emotional for yep. vacation. So I'm going to wait. <laughs> yeah, definitely not a vacation lesson. Yeah. Okay. But I had forgotten. So thank you for yep. reminding me. Uh, how about a brand or a product, <laughs> something that you're really liking lately that you can't keep your hands yeah, off? Right before you called me, I was like, I need to go run downstairs and find it because I need to know exactly what it is. I love this um, <laughs> thing I got from my sister-in-law for Christmas. It's um, CO Bigelow Lavender Salve. Mm-hmm. It says on the tin. Okay. It's like for elbows and knees and dry skin and your face and your hands and your lips. And yeah, it's for yeah. everything. And I just love it. My kids really like it. They're like, yeah. oh, I want some mommy. And I just really love it. Also, I'm obsessed. Yeah. Gabe just came back from Ethiopia um, on his first work trip and brought back Ethiopian coffee. And it is the best, Ooh. best coffee I've had. Gabe was saying really? it's some of the best coffee in the world. Like, it's just so, oh so, so gosh. Is it, like, rich or how would you describe it? It's, like, it? so easy to drink. Smooth. Um, really? Yeah, like, bold in flavor, but not, not, like, acidic or bitter. It's just, like, it's just, like, comfort in a cup. I just love it. <gasps> so good. Oh, I want some right now. It sounds so good. So good. That's awesome. That's perfect. Okay, so if anybody is going to Ethiopia, make sure you get some coffee. Yeah, <laughs> is there anything new that you're working on in your creative life with the blog or with your writing or photography business? Um, well, I'm trying to get my photography business started. But I would say in my creative life outside of that, I am trying to get our house kind of settled and decorated and the way I like it. So that's been really fun to decorate Mm -hmm. and pick out some new um, things from Ikea. Oh my gosh, I had to practice so much self-control in Ikea. I just wanted to buy everything. Mm. And yeah, decorating. And then I feel like I kind of want to get into landscaping our yard a little bit. That sounds Ooh, yeah. it's creative yeah. on a different level, but just kind of practical in my life right now is kind of figuring out our home and what I want it to be like. So, yeah. yeah. Which is something you're very, very good at. You have always been really good at decorating, and I know you said you used to want to be an interior yeah. designer. And so if, you, if people like looking at that kind of thing, I highly recommend following you yeah. online so yeah. you can see – Oh, you do great because it's Thanks. so cool. I think it's fun. Yeah. Well, you're good at it. 
All right. How can people connect with you if they want to learn more or want to read your blog? Yeah. Uh, can you share some of your yes. social media stuff? So my my blog is www.hopeunswerving.com. And my Instagram, which is where I feel like my is my major kind of – I feel like I've been trying to just like pick one and get good at it. Um, but Instagram is yeah. my major one that I've been kind of using. And my handle is Lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-A-Y dot Walder, W-A-L-D-E-R. And if you want to look me up on Facebook for my photography, you can, if you're in the Pacific Northwest area or whatever, it's, um, it's on Facebook and it's just my name, Lindsay Walder, um, spelled how I just spelled it, photography. So those are my, those are my places. So perfect. Well, we'll put links to it too. And links to all the recommendations you had for everybody, books and all those different things. But I just love you. And I'm so thankful for you. And I just really appreciate you sharing your story and your experiences, because I think it's encouraging. And I think it's really helpful for people who are maybe thinking about taking these kinds of steps or even just loving people in their life who are doing those things. So just thanks for sharing your story. For wanting to hear it. Yeah. I just love everything. I love you too, friend. Let's talk soon. Yay. All right. If you haven't already headed on over to Instagram to try to creep on Lindsay, I'm going to make sure that you get her handle so that you can do just that because her family is pretty much the most adorable thing I've ever seen and so I want to make sure that everybody gets to look at them. Like I said before we started, one of my favorite parts of this conversation was Lindsay's vulnerability with the hardships and the successes of being foster and adoptive parents. I think what she shared about the uniqueness of each situation, of the joys of getting to keep Martel permanently, and also the heartbreak that came with having to turn kids away. I like that Lindsay didn't try to sugarcoat that, but that she just told it like it was. It was really hard to say no to some of those kids, and she isn't even sure if it was the right decision, but she felt like it's what she needed to do. Even though that might seem intimidating to a lot of us who have thought about doing foster care before, I think it's ultimately really encouraging to know that every situation is going to be different and to know that we're not going to be perfect at handling it, but to know that there's still hope in that and that we can still make an impact on a child's life, even if it's a short-term one. The thing that moved me the most in this conversation, even when listening to it for the second time around, was hearing what Lindsay said about her and Martel's conversation about his biological mom. This honestly moved me to tears even the second time around when I was listening to it. Martel's story seems like a success because he ended up getting such awesome parents and such a loving family, but like Lindsay said, it still comes out of a loss and something that's going to be really hard for him probably for the rest of his life. And like Lindsay said, it's just not fair. It's something that he shouldn't have to deal with. I think that it's really brave of her to say that about her own son and about someone that she loves so dearly and is giving so much of her life to. It's just so wise of her to recognize that this isn't how it should be. And I think that that is what really informs her perspective as a foster parent and as someone who cares more about families and families being together than just about getting a kid that she really loves. I'm sure that you were educated and challenged in hearing her thoughts, but ultimately I hope you feel enlightened and encouraged 
and ready to use this information for the good of the world, for the good of families, for the good of kids, in whatever way fits into your life. I also definitely think you should go check out Lindsay's blog because she is such a beautiful writer and her words are so sweet and encouraging and they're going to be a great pick-me-up and they're going to give you even more of an inside peek into her life as a foster and adoptive mom. And something we didn't talk about on this episode was their next adoption journey. Lindsay and Gabe are actually working towards another domestic adoption of a child who they haven't met yet, but she's going to be posting about that along the way. So if you're interested in learning more, I highly recommend heading over and checking that out on her website and also her Instagram. Again, you have to look at her adorable family. And like I mentioned in the show, you definitely want to check out her home and how she decorates and just her cute little life because she has great taste and I pretty much trust any of her artistic opinions. So you're going to want that in your feed for sure. The links to Lindsay's website and her photography page and her Instagram handle, along with everything else that we referenced, all the books and the videos and everything like that, are in the show notes, which you can view in the description of the show on whatever app you're listening on, or you can see on my website, which is heartfelthippy.wordpress.com. While you're over there, I would also love it if you would hit me up and let me know what topics you're interested in learning more about. I have a lot of great shows lined up for the next few months that I'm so excited to share with you about all kinds of different topics, but I would also love to know what you're wanting to learn more about. Maybe there's a topic that you've heard about that you have some questions on, or maybe there's something that you're really passionate about that you want other people to be more aware of. Whatever it is, I want to know what you want to know. So hit me up on the gram, you can DM me, you can email me, whatever it is, I want to hear from you. I would also super, super, super appreciate if you would first make sure you're subscribed to the show so you can stay up to date on all the latest episodes. Second, leave a rating. And third, maybe even leave a review. It helps other people to find the show and it helps me out a ton. So I really, really appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Lindsay because I had a great time talking with her and like I said, I learned a lot and I hope you did too. For my next episode releasing in two weeks, I'm interviewing my new friend, Kelly, who runs a company that is all about saving the bees. If you didn't know that the bees need to be saved, definitely be prepared to get enlightened because there's this whole bee situation going on and I just learned a lot in our conversation and you're going to learn some super fun ways and practical ways that you can help to save all the bees. And yes, I am saying bees. Bees like that can sting you and that make honey, but we need them in our world and you're going to learn more about why. So make sure you look out for that episode because it's going to blow your socks off and you're going to learn a lot. So stay tuned and in the meantime, stay encouraged and keep seeking to get enlightened. Peace out.